Chapter Fifteen of the Fairy of the Snows by Francis J. Penn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Fifteen, Jenny Jenkins Wants More. The Two Fairies Nurse a Secret. The third Sunday after Easter, the great feast of Saint Joseph, is always a memorable and beautiful day in Saint Saviour's parish. In the early sunshine of that morning. Innocence and love and high desire issue from home and tenement in the shape of simple-hearted little boys and modest little girls, in the streets so lately tenanted by night prowlers, and all the various followers of dissipation, forget the ugliness and the sin of the darker hours, and grow bright to welcome the living flowers of Christ. Down the Sixth Avenue hill, in groups of two and three, come little boys and girls, clean and neat and pretty, and unworldly in their attire. Down the Fifth Avenue hill comes another host. Down Sycamore and up Sycamore come others. From north and south and east and west they come, and from every footstep blessings rise, and make the city, with all its sordidness and sin, a thing of beauty to him who so loves children. Men and women, too, are on the streets, fathers, mothers, relations, and friends, and one can see that tender memories of other days, like the present one, have brought them for the nonce near to heaven because they have, as it were, become little children too. The first communicants disappear within the walls of the school building, and all is silence. Devoted sisters, how devoted, how long-suffering, I dare not attempt to express, are at hand to receive and care for the girls, and the Mrs. Dalton, with several officers of the young lady's sodality, see that each little boy looks his bravest in a white sash over his blue coat, and that a white flower graces his youthful breast. Going down to the office that morning before the mass, I found little Jenny Jenkins, with Mrs. Mary Milton, awaiting me at the entry. Jenny, the reader may possibly remember, was the little girl of eleven who never got up on Sunday. Jenny had a hopeless mother, who, while starving and stinting her children, contributed assiduously the year round to the support of two or three saloon keepers in her neighborhood. In the time not given to sleeping and the neglect of her work as a charwoman, she loved to hear the canakin clink, and to that end trained little Jenny carefully into the safe carriage of the little tin bucket, a very distant relation to the moss-covered bucket that hung in the well. Jenny's bucket was a stranger to the fluid, which has made the moss-covered bucket famous. Outside of school hours, the exits and entrances of life to Jenny Jenkins were the saloon back doors, over which one could read the hideously ironical inscription, Lady Sitting Room. All during the preparation for the great day, Jenny had been on the waiting list. Irregular in coming to school, missing mass freely, showing little or no interest in making herself ready, I had often been minded to put her out of the class, and ever consent herself with going to Holy Communion privately. Even up to the day before the retreat, the question hung unsettled. Then Mrs. Milton came into the vexed question and solved it. It was the custom of the good woman each year to fit out one poor little girl for the solemn reception of our Lord, and this year the lot had fallen upon Jenny Jenkins. Mrs. Milton took the trouble to look into Jenny's environment, and she saw that it was not good. In fact, she considered it impossible. She communicated her impressions to the child's mother in no uncertain terms, and by great good luck Mrs. Jenkins was sober enough at the time to follow Mrs. Milton's strictures. Mrs. Milton, furthermore, laid down the law and exacted from the mother certain concessions. Then the good woman came to me. Father, she said, that poor little child Jenny Jenkins cannot possibly get ready at her own home to make her first communion properly. 
So it appears, I said. The fact is, Mrs. Milton, I'm so disgusted with little Jenny that I've about made up my mind to put her out of the class tomorrow morning. Poor child, you wouldn't do that, father. She has no chance at all. She'd be a thousand times better off if her mother were dead. I'm not thinking of Jenny so much, Mrs. Milton, as of the others in her class. She is giving such bad example. But, father, she won't these next three days. I've arranged for all that. Father, I scared her mother into letting Jenny stay with me for now till next Sunday night. She'll have plenty of time to say her prayers and get her rest, and I promise you I'll do everything for her as though she were my own child. Mrs. Milton, shake hands. You solve a question that has given me no end of annoyance. And so during the three days of special preparation, little Jenny had been in time for Mass, regular in the afternoon, and, so her teacher had told me, a wonderfully changed girl. Remembering all this, I confronted the two in the vestibule. And what a transformation had come over the tawdily dressed Jenny of the heavy, dull-colored face and the unkempt hair. This morning her eyes were bright and her cheeks faintly reminiscent of the rose, and her white dress and veil discovered to me, for the first time, the pathetic beauty of her gypsy-like face, framed in raven-black hair. And wonder of wonders, holiness had touched the features of the little child, touched them so that she looked then as sweet, as innocent, and as winsome as any child I had seen that morning. Father, said Mrs. Milton, here's Jenny come to thank you for all your kindness, and especially for allowing her to go on with her first communion. She's been with me three days, Father, and I can say that a nicer, sweeter, better little girl I would not want to have near me. Oh, Father, if that girl had half a chance, she'd be as good as the best. You should have seen her pray morning and night. Why, last evening the little thing had almost to be forced from her knees. God help her, God help her. Father, she wants to say something to you. I turned my eyes to the new Jenny Jenkins. The hardness, the boldness were gone from her face, and in their place was the sweet air of childhood, of which she had been this long time robbed. Father, she said, even her voice had grown lovely, I want you to pray for me that I may keep good. I know I've been bad, and I'm sorry. And, Jenny, put in Mrs. Milton, what are you going to ask our Lord when you receive him? Father, I am going to ask him to die if I am in danger of growing up bad. The child's evident sincerity moved me so that I could not trust myself to speak. And now, Father, bless me that I may keep it up. That child of the worst possible tenement, of the worst possible home, of an absolutely impossible mother, brought the tears to my eyes. There were fervent communions made that morning, but while many approached the holy table with like sentiments of faith and love, I doubt whether any brought such touching humility as that abandoned child of the tenement. The mass with the communion service lasted over an hour, and it was quite late in the morning when I took my breakfast. For some reason or other I felt very tired, and instead of going down at once to the school office, I rested in my room. It was half-past ten o'clock, or more, before I arrived at the office, and there I found Alice Murrow and Grace Elwood awaiting me. "'Why, children!' I exclaimed. Haven't you gone home for your breakfast yet? No, father, said Alice. We couldn't go without thanking you for all your kindness. Mama was here, too, added Grace, but the fasting made her feel sick, and she's waiting for me at the ideal cafeteria. Father, she sends you this. And Grace handed me an envelope containing, as I afterward discovered, a large bill, and asked you to use it for your school. And, father, I want to thank you again and I promise you I'm going to do my best to be a good little girl. Thank you, children, but you are not angels yet, 
and I think you'd both better toddle away and get your breakfast. But, Father, we want your blessing first. I gave it willingly. And, Grace, I said, am I to see you and your mother no more? Oh, I hope so, Father. It looks as if we shall be here for two weeks longer. We work every night next week in Covington, and we work three nights after that in Newport, and I'm coming over here every noontime, and when I can, every afternoon, to see you and meet Alice. You will be welcome. And, Father, put in Alice, would you mind our going over to the music room when there's no one using it? What's up now? The fairy of the footlights and the fairy of the snows began to make all manner of facial and manual signals at each other. Grace seemed to propose something to which Alice strongly objected. Father, said Alice at length, it's a secret, but we'll let you know in good time. And with this I had to be satisfied. The two white-robed innocents bade me an elaborate farewell, both executing with perfect grace Alice's elaborate curtsy. End of chapter 15 Recording by Maria Therese